Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, January 17th, the Grandma Inception edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Leo, who is four and a half, and Eliza, who is eight. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is almost 16, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carva Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, here today from Brooklyn, New York, in the Slate offices. And I'm the father to Georgia, who is 13, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we will be talking to Dan Pashman, the host of the Sporkful podcast, about the science and the shame of picky eaters. Then we'll take a question from a listener about a straight-A student who's stressed out whenever her homework requires her to think creatively. Plus, as always, we will have triumphs and fails, we'll make recommendations, and on Slate Plus, we'll be joined by Slate news blogger Ben Mathis Lilly to share a parenting fail around getting his kid dressed. Uh, Let's start with triumphs and fails. Carvel, welcome to Brooklyn, New York. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, As always, when I'm here, it's part part triumph, part fail, because it's like I'm like here because I have a job, and that's good, and I'm providing for my children and that's great but then it's a fail because i'm not with my children and that drives me crazy but um my i would say that i had something of a triumph or we collectively had a triumph which is that this is the first trip in which i've been um at least one of my kids has been texting me nonstop. ezra has been texting me consistently we have these running conversations going about um he's got movie opinions that he wants my thoughts on and he wants to argue with me about and he's been seeing movies and we've been texting and then last night he said um he sent me a bunch of youtube videos that he, he really likes what he calls video essays which are basically people on youtube with takes that i think are mostly trash but don't tell him i said that um but that he thinks are really smart and then he wants me to like you know, sort of listen to them and then tell him what i think uh and so the one he sent me was like reasons why the jedi are actually the wrong ones and the, that's a big thing for him right now is like this idea that maybe the jedi are wrong that the jedi are and i'm like okay so he wants me to like watch that so fine i watch it he's been sending me stuff and he wants to argue with me if i don't agree and he wants to get you know happy if i do agree but then he sent me this note that just said, oh, by the way, I want you to read my essay. And I was like, okay, (laughs) what essay? And I didn't, there was nothing. And then he said, oh, never mind. I I, I sent it to my teacher. It's fine. And I was like, oh, because I was checking my email for it. I didn't get it. And he said, okay, well, I'll send it to you anyway. And he he sent me this essay that he wrote for his English class. They read Homegoing by Yagasi. And um, he wrote this essay, this like expansive, probably 500 word essay on it. That was beautiful. Like, it was really good. And I was just like, wait, what? You wrote this? And this is a kid who I honestly just assume (laughs) that he's never doing his work. Like, that's just my, at this point, my default belief is that he's literally never doing his homework at any time. But he was really into this. And he had all this, like, all this thematic interpretation of the characters and what they meant. And it just was one of those moments when you're like, huh, I guess, I guess he's doing fine. (laughs) It was such a beautiful essay. And I, I just, you know, and I was... I just sent him this, you know, text being like, this is actually really good. Like, I'm really impressed with this. And one of the things I struggle with with him is like, 
how much do I praise him versus how much do I sort of be honest with him and where those intersect. And I can tell that a lot, he re- is really invested in me agreeing with him. He gets, a, a, he's at the age where like he sees a lot of his value and like whether or not I think that he's right about something. And that's hard for me because I think he's wrong about a lot of stuff and I don't want to lie to him, but also I'm an obnoxious, like opinionated person as well. And so we get into these clashes that are somewhat about the facts, but really about our relationship. And so I, I'm always relieved when I don't have to decide whether to be honest with him or not. I just get to be honest and say, no, actually this was really good. And that essay was really good. So shout out to him doing his homework. Still don't know what his GPA is going to look like. Still don't know what his college plan is truly going to be, how he's really going to put food on the table for himself and his family in the future. These are things I can't imagine. But man, he did his homework and it was really good. And I was happy to read it. Nice. Rebecca, how about you? Trying for fail. I've got, instead of my, the normal way I would couch this would be a failure on my part to be able to like have a really good parent-child relationship with my own mother, uh, which is really really what the story is. I'm instead going to rebrand it and couch it as Henry's triumph in being (laughs) able to have the patience to watch the movie Inception with grandma, which was... (laughs) That's great. (laughs) One of the more extraordinary... I mean, I like live tweeted it for a few minutes. I'm not going to lie because I... I, Those were funny. I I am not ashamed to exploit a moment like this because I had to leave the the room because uh, this kid's school play was this weekend. My mom came and stayed with us overnight to see the play. Uh, Late at night after the play, Henry decides he'd, he'd been watching Inception earlier in the day he decides he wants to like continue watching it he hits play the movie's like starting you know about two-thirds of the way through or whatever grandma walks in the room and just sits down next to him and just starts asking questions oh, <laughs> like my mom is a luddite had he seen the movie before was this his he first had. time he, so he knew what was going on he had right. yeah he's That's a big good. Christopher Nolan helpful. fan he's a big film buff but also it's just like she also just is the kind of person who no matter what the media is she just like exclaims a lot during the media like whenever there's a gunshot or any kind of noise or <laughs> even when we were watching a Christmas story this summer like we're watching a Christmas story and it's the scene where the kid gets his tongue stuck to the pole uh-huh. and she's like this is just awful so upsetting <laughs> like this is watching movies with my mom uh, uh, yeah that's <laughs> and, right. and so she walks in the middle of Inception and he, she's just like who are these people? Where are they? What are they trying to achieve? And Henry's like, well, it's a very complicated plot. I'd be really happy to explain it to you. Maybe we should just get through this part and then I can hit pause. And then it's just, it went on and on and on. And he just had, has this like, he just has a different constitution than I do. Like he can, he thinks it's funny and he's able just to sort of see it that way and, you know, be polite and, I, of course, am triggered by different things with my mom because she's my mom. Um, he just he's amazing. And at one point, my my favorite thing was when um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's, you know, wife is on the screen in one of these flashback scenes. And, and my mother's like, she has a beautiful accent. Is she French? And Henry was like, I, I think so. But grandma, that is literally the least important detail in this entire movie. Um, but the whole thing just went on and on and on like that. And like, God love the kid. I don't know how he does does it, but he has incredible patience and I am couching this instead of a failure on my part because what I did was left the room and went to bed and listened from bed and live tweeted it like a jerk. <laughs> he actually sat there and did it and um, tried to explain it and 
good for him. I wish I could have that kind of triumph someday, but I don't. I never will. I just know I never will. I remember watching a movie with my whole extended family, and I remember like we hit play on the movie, and it began with a scene of like people on the bus, and the camera like pans to one character on the bus who's clearly like going to be a character in the movie. That's <laughs> the first shot in the movie is like picking up our character on the bus, and as soon as the camera lands on the guy, I remember my grandmother saying. Who is that? Do you know him? <laughs> it's, it's the first shot. There's no other information available. <laughs> this must be a universal grandparent thing. Yes. And it makes me wonder if it's generational or if it's old stuff, is if right. we're going to do this. Because right. Ezra, if you recall, two summers ago when I sent Ezra to stay with my dad for two weeks instead of one by accident, one of the th- things that he reported back was that watching movies with my with my dad was incredibly frustrating because my dad would do the same thing. Who's this guy? Where did this guy come from? What's he want to shoot him or something? <laughs> yeah. It must be a universal thing. No, I bet, I bet this, is, this is our future. This is, is, is there a watch, switch that's going to flip? Yeah. That's the thing. Like is, it. is it going to be a switch that flips? Is that, be, is that just going to happen? I bet it is. It's like when you go to a movie theater and you're picking out a seat and you're wondering who you should sit next to who's not who's going to disturb your experience of the movie the least. Yeah. And mm. older, like, Couples, yes, are the worst. Stay away from them. So, Got to be totally. the first. They'll, 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 they'll ask each other questions yes. the whole time. They will repeat lines of dialogue to one another. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I completely agree. There's a it's a little indie theater in our town where they show you know like the you know indie movies or right. whatever, and it's like the artsy place that you can get a membership to and all that. I hate going to movies there because they don't play them loud, super loud, which is what I like. I like them to be super loud so I can't hear other people. But old people don't like that, so they don't play them super loud. <laughs> and it's completely full of people who talk. I mean, put me in front of eight teenagers eating loud snacks in crispy wrappers any day over an elderly couple who is just asking each other questions through the entire <laughs> movie. Any day. Right. I know that sounds ageist. I'm sorry. It's just true. People who are like making noise in response to the movie who are like laughing or yes, screaming yeah. or Reacting. like yeah. cheering for the characters yeah. that enhances the movie people yes. who are like talking to their partner about yes. the movie yes. it's like no now I'm not in the movie anymore now I'm in your living I'm in your like living room and, and the couches are covered in plastic and there are horrible boiled sweets on the table and I don't want to be here how uh, Werther's yeah exactly there are Werther's candies right there um I have a fail, and it also comes from from going on a trip, but it wasn't me who went on the trip. Um, over the weekend, uh, my wife, Tally, went to a, a family funeral, and, and she took Eliza with her. And so Leo and I were at home together the whole weekend, which, you know, he's four and a half, and so, like, that's always slightly a challenge. Like, mm-hmm. that's not going to be a chill weekend. But we, you know, we call it dude time. That's the way we frame <laughs> it when, like, mom goes away. We call that dude time because we're going to, like, watch some movies, and we're going to have some fun, and right. we might eat some candy and whatever. And we had a pretty good weekend. Like, we did, we went to see uh, Smallfoot. It's not that great. We <laughs> uh, had a play date at one of his friend's house and, and hung out there for Saturday morning. We, like, watched some videos and we ate dinner together and we went to a restaurant. And it was fun. We had a fun time. Mm-hmm. By the time Tally and Eliza come home, uh, like, Sunday at 5 or so, it's been fine. I'm feeling good. It's been successful. The house isn't a complete wreck. I feel like I've done a good job. But I'm done. And I'm not even done particularly with, like, the parenting aspect. It's more about, like, when he's four and a half, he's not self-sufficient in any way. 
And what I'm done with is like human contact. <laughs> like I've I've been available to him this entire weekend from like Friday night through through Sunday afternoon. I like I you know other than when he's asleep, like I have yeah. been interfacing with him. Yes, physically, conversationally, yes. attentive wise. Yeah. Like every like you know he watches a show and like there's a question for me every minute about what's happening in the mm-hmm. show. Um, and I am a person who, like, I, you know, I thrive on human contact and then I also require a measure of solitude. <laughs> I, I, I need to sort of collect yes. myself yes. and sort of be self-contained Makes sometimes. Sense. I go back and forth. And so by the end, of, by the time they get back, then I am just done. And like, you know, here's my beloved wife and older child and they're like back home and we haven't seen each other all weekend. Um, and I just like, I completely shut down. I like became an an automaton. I just like, it was like I went over and like just switched myself off and I just acted like a total jerk. And they didn't appreciate that? No, no. I can't believe that they they didn't see things from that perspective. They they somehow fail to recognize that that it's like I'm experiencing a a buffer overload, (laughs) a a system-wide buffer overload and have shut down. Um, And I was unable even to like frame what was going on in a way that I I could explain it even to myself. I only recognize what's happening (laughs) post hoc. Yes. Um, And so I acted like a jerk to my return turning beloved family members ah. after they got back from from a family funeral um and uh that was unpleasant of me and um you know what can you do i'm like i there's i only have so much capacity like yeah. my capacity was exhausted but next time hopefully i will at least be aware that yeah. there's this danger of my capacity being exhausted and i'll be able to be like oh, i really need to tap out can i just do it? you know what i mean couldn't do that acted like a jerk that's my fail <laughs> hmm. That sounds like a public apology to me. I mean, <laughs> I'm just, I'm not, I don't want to read too much into it. That sounds like the kind of thing you say when you're like, I need to say this publicly because there's a person listening who needs, who should hear this. Sometimes she listens, sometimes she doesn't. If she listens this time, you would like to see I hope it. she enjoys our content this week. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question you want us to answer on the air, you can leave us a message, 424-257-833, or you can send us an email at slate.com. If you're not yet a member of our Facebook group, you're probably one of those people who don't use Facebook. But if you're in that third category of people who do use Facebook but have not yet joined our Facebook group, what are you waiting for? Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. Lots of parents there having great conversations about our show, about their own parenting triumphs fails, problems, questions, great conversation. Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. 
Today on Slate Plus, we're joined by Slate News blogger Ben Mathis Lilly to uh, talk about some parenting fail he's been having around getting his son dressed. Uh, we're going to try to give him some helpful advice. If you want to hear that segment and another one like it every week, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus members get extended episodes of their favorite Slate podcasts, no ads in any Slate podcast, and you help support this show and our other shows. Just $35 your first year. ton of other great benefits. If you want to support mom and dad are fighting go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus that's slate.com slash mom and dad plus and sign up for slate plus today okay let's get back to the show okay we're joined in the studio by dan pashman he's the host of the podcast the sporkful from stitcher uh it's a great podcast about food he's got a couple episodes coming up about the science and the shame of picky eaters let's hear a little bit of the first of those episodes now we also didn't have cereal with milk so your whole growing up, you never ate cereal with milk? I, I still never have. No. You've never in your life. How old are you? I'm, we're 27. This is Laura and Beth. They're twin sisters, and they are very picky eaters. What's another food that, that most people would consider commonplace that you've never tried? How, how much time do you have? All the time <laughs> in the world, <laughs> Beth. <laughs> Cauliflower, no. broccoli, no. peppers, no. squash, no. pumpkins. No. What about mac and cheese? Mm, not really. Plain pasta with butter? Uh, not with butter, but I like it with whatever red sauce that is. Have you ever had soup? Mm, like it's just like water with flavor. <laughs> Doesn't seem all that appetizing. <laughs> no. Dan, you have kids. What? Uh, how old are your kids? I do. I have Becky, who is eight, and Emily, who is five and a half. And what is their eating history? Well, uh... Becky is more like me, the way I was growing up, which is that she gets a lot of pleasure from eating, and uh, she is a very adventurous eater, and and not just not just will try lots of things, but really looks forward to meals and will like remember a thing. I was like, oh, we're gonna go to this bowling alley uh, this weekend, okay? And she goes, can we have that pretzel with the cheese dip? Yeah, yeah. And it's been like two years since we went <laughs> yes. there. You know, <laughs> that's what I'm talking. About. Right, right, right. That's Becky. <laughs> Emily, the younger one, she's just not as into food. She likes her things. She's a little pickier. Not a, not terribly picky. It's not a huge issue, but it does cause stress sometimes. She's a little more like my wife, Janie. So we're a bit, food-wise, we're an odd couple because I love food and Janie sort of could take it or leave it. So we each have one child in our eating camp. Got it. Hmm. And for the episode of the show, you've been covering picky eating. Did your experiences with the younger kid, did that inform your wanting to take on this topic? That certainly, I mean, I think it helped me to understand the frustrations that a lot of parents feel, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. And so tell me, what like, what did you find? What did, what did you learn about picky eating, where it comes from, and most importantly, what we can do about it? Well, so that's, that's Gabriel, the question that, that I understand that that's the question a lot of parents have. I was kind of coming at it from a different perspective, or I kind of wanted to ask the question that underlies that question. Your question assumes that picky eating is a problem. Uh-huh. That should be. <laughs> it is a problem. <laughs> well, that's because it, it is. Dan. It, it, I will own that assumption. <laughs> <laughs> Look, first, I just want to say, like, set aside kids where, like, there are very acute cases. Put aside kids who, like, are losing weight or they're malnourished. Maybe there's a deeper psychological issue. Maybe there's autism or OCD or PICA. Like, those is- issues require real medical attention. I'm talking now about sort of your everyday, otherwise healthy, passing all their physicals kid who just is picky. There are some estimates that say, especially like age three, four, five, six years old, half of kids in that age group 
are described as picky eaters mm. by their parents. Right. So if, if 50% are picky, then it's not, <laughs> by definition, it's normal. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and, and so I, I did speak to an expert in this uh, in one, for our episode. And, you know, I, I said, so if the kids are otherwise healthy, what's the problem? And he said, well, there's two basic problems, possible problems. One is that a picky eating child will grow to have unhealthy eating habits as an adult. And two is that it creates a lot of stress in the household for parents, as you guys, as we all know. And then anything that creates stress for parents creates stress for kids, right? So those are the two real problems. So let's take these in order, all right? You you guys have picky eating kids? Yes. Okay. I, not now, anymore. Okay. Not, I have one that's sort of out outgrown it. Okay. Outgrown. The youngest it. one was right. Out, more so. These are the two issues. Number one, the two the two potential issues. Number one, that a kid is going to grow to have unhealthy habits as an adult. Number two, creates stress. So let's take these in order. Number one, there's a lot of research that says that if you simply model healthy eating for your kids if they that a lot of our eating as adults is based on what we see our parents eating when we're kids if you model healthy eating that makes a big difference and it take it can take 30 or 40 tastes of a food for a kid to acquire a taste of it which could which could mean years right all right and so i think we as parents some parents get very hung up on how many vegetables is the kid actually digesting like at age 5 and really, there's a lot of research you can make a very convincing case that if you get your kid to take a couple little bites here and there, get them to their 30 or 40 tastes by age 10 or 12, mm-hmm. and model healthy eating for them, they're really going to be fine as adults. They're going to be they're going to be okay. As for the stress, why is it stressful? It's stressful because we think it's a problem. It's a it's a circular thing. It's like parents are stressed about their kids not eating because they think it's a problem. If they understood that most of the time it's not a, much of a problem, it wouldn't create stress. Hmm. So I guess one of the questions that I have is this thing about vegetables. There's this kind of unscientific but very deeply rooted belief that most parents have that because you're growing. I mean, that's what I, when I was growing, it was you're a growing boy. That was the final explanation. So something about the the magic of growing seems to make everything parents feel like everything is like being set in stone whatever you do during growing is now you're going to be stuck with for the rest of your life and so if you don't get enough vitamin c and enough iron iron and niacin or whatever stuff it is that you have heard in commercials is good that if your kid doesn't have enough of that then somehow their growth won't be as healthy so it's not just about the habits they have later but also about are they getting all are they you know, do they have the competitive survival advantage? Right. Are their bones strong enough? Right. Are they going to be like able to ward off tigers? Do they have enough like, omega threes <laughs> to make their brain big exactly, or whatever? Exactly. Right. 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 I mean, look, I, I should I should give the disclaimer. Like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist, and the research on picky eating is actually pretty limited. We don't know exactly why some kids are pickier than others, and there's a lot of and there could be different reasons for different kids. So I, I, I honestly I don't know Carville I don't I don't right. know the answer to that I I I, uh, I understand what you're saying you know I think that if your kid eats zero vegetables that's probably not the greatest <laughs> but I think that parents put a lot too much pressure on themselves right. over and then by extension pressure on their kids and there's also you know there's an evolutionary logic to it there's an evolutionary logic that should explain why kids would be skeptical of new foods sure right because if you're like in prehistoric times the kid who was like just running through the forest eating every berry and mushroom right. that they stumbled over 
Didn't last long. Tripping balls. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That kid wasn't going to last long. So like the kid who was naturally cautious, um, there's also some research that suggests that, that it's natural for little kids to crave sugar, that sugar also, this is, uh, this is a questionable, I'm not saying this is set in stone, (laughs) but I have spoken to an expert who said that, that, that actually as you get into your teen years, it's somewhat natural to lose a bit of your taste for sugar. And that there could be something natural about little kids craving sugar. Um, and so, you know, there's just like, I just think that we get too hung up on it. That's where I'm coming. You know, you talk about the stress factor. And I, you know, I never had picky eating kids, but I do have a picky eating stepdaughter. And I will admit I was super judgy about it when uh, I first married her dad and we'd be out at a restaurant and the boys would just try things and she'd be like chicken quesadilla with cheese plain <laughs> or like grilled cheese sandwich or, you know, she's still to this day, like her stable is just like a salad with chicken on it. She's just, she doesn't, you know. You, you're feeling really that, superior in that restaurant, right? You're right. feeling like. And I, but I have learned that that is a me thing. Like, I, what do I care? Like whether or not she's picky <laughs> or not. And I was just being a judgy prick basically for like giving her shit about not being more adventurous eater so how much what my question is like when you talk to parents how much of that stress i'm putting it in air quotes around having a picky eater is because people like me past me uh judge them or they feel like they're judged because their kids just won't try things yeah i think that's a huge part of it And, and i'm curious rebecca did you judge your husband for the fact that a hundred percent, yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. that's right. I'm like, why didn't you and her mom just give her different stuff to eat? What's the matter with you? Like, why did you indulge this? And then I realized, like, they probably could have because now she's been, you know, we've been married now for 10 years and she's had plenty of exposure to tons of stuff and she'll try stuff, but she just prefers plainer stuff. She's just, she likes it better. Like, right. who cares? And, right. And, and, and there's still especially scant research on how DNA determines taste preferences. Mm. The idea that, that even two siblings could be born with very different taste preferences. I do think there's something natural about sort of like the satisfaction as a parent of seeing your kid eat well. Yes. Like there's something very visceral, yes, very visceral. like brain about yeah. like I am doing my job as a parent I'm keeping you alive yes, that's right. um, and so <laughs> I, I, and so I think with that in mind it makes some sense that you may judge the parenting of others if it seems like their kid isn't eating anything because it's like they're failing at something you may perceive they're failing at something so basic but I'm also curious to ask you guys because this is something that I've been thinking a lot about while working on this series is that um, I wonder if there's something that's sort of like I, I hate this catch-all, but sort of like coastal elite liberal about this mentality. Because first of all, the idea that you should be exposed to so many different foods and go out to restaurants and try all these different cuisines, that, like that already implies a certain amount of of uh, status or wealth, the, you know, the, the ability to do that. Um, and I also feel like there's something sort of subliminally kind of like small L liberal about the, the idea that, that we should all go forth and experience other cultures and that a child who does that is somehow more open-minded or more worldly and that a child who doesn't is somehow closed-minded or small-c conservative. And I just, I wonder whether whether this these are issues 
everywhere. Well, I think I mean I think that analysis is exactly right, and I think like as the way you frame it, that has good aspects and bad aspects, right? I certainly okay. So I here you know here I am in like Fort Greene, Brooklyn, New York, in my you know family of bougie like coastal elites, um, and my older child Eliza has always had you know. She, when she was a little kid, then she liked things and didn't like things, and now she loves to try things, and she gets interested. She wants to be sophisticated and grown up, and so she ordered. Like she went to a birthday party where they went out to a restaurant, and she was very pleased because everybody else, all the other kids, ordered the cheeseburger, and she ordered the sushi, mm-hmm. and like okay, she so felt that's yeah that part that, right there. That, right? That's, who, that's who we are. <laughs> that's where you yeah. Right. And, and she's not the liking the sushi. Right. It's no, the belief. It's that the belief that it's superior. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's exactly right. right. And the the good side is being adventurous, trying stuff. The, the world has an exciting array of tastes out there for you to explore, and you shouldn't be cowardly about that. That seems good. Looking down on somebody else because they want a cheeseburger seems less good. Right. Well, you know, the part that I think is, the, is I mean, there's that. But I think the other part that I is, like, if you want to do the coastal elite, like, kind of, um, you know, designation, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot in this last two years that I've spent reading parent letters and questions the parents have is the larger sense is that there's this belief that you if you have to do things this one right way and that if you just arrange everything for your kid the exact right way you'll get the exact right results with your kid mm. and if you don't you won't that's the part that i see is a real plague among like sort of like coastal elite educated types is that cuz we get these letters that are just about the incredibly specific things and like 90% of the letters that I read both for the Karen feeding column and for this my first response is like don't fucking worry about it like right. it's fine <laughs> right. it's fine i don't why is this you know what i mean but it's like but the parents are like should i do this or should i do that should i but you know and, and a lot of it is like i don't want my kid to grow up thinking this but if i do that then they'll think this and it's like all this sort of like this belief that you can almost like genetically sort of like arrange yes. your child's thought relationship to the future through all these decisions that you make i think that's where people are kind of out of hand with it and so the way we always handled it was this is on the plate. You have a choice whether to eat it or not. But those are your choices. And I'm going to put stuff on the plate that I know is going to have like salt and fat and be a little fried and stuff that you're going to like. It's not going to be all terrible, but we're going to put, <laughs> we're going to put stuff on the plate. It's not going to be all arugula or whatever, but we're going to put stuff on the plate and you're going to have to figure out how to make your way through that. Right. And, um, and so I think that they had a kind of game attitude towards food in general. And I think that might have been us, but I don't know. That's a perfect example of like you talked about how every parent wants how do I solve this problem? What is the tip or the technique that yeah. will unlock this this puzzle? Yes. And you say, like, well, we try this technique and that technique, and eventually over time our daughter started to eat a wider range of foods. Yes. And maybe you did solve it. Maybe you found the right thing. You know, I feel like as parents, we all when we figure something out, we want to assume that we yes. we, we did it. Yeah, I mean, you want to bottle it and make it a, a like a lesson. Right, you want to sell right. it to other people. Like, Facebook needs to know about this. <laughs> 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 you know, but, but I I often wonder like, am I giving myself credit for this? Like, do I deserve the credit I'm giving myself for this, or was it just by chance? Like yeah. three, three, four, five, six year olds tend to be picky eaters. Yeah. 11, 12 year olds start to experiment more. Maybe the tech, the tenth technique you tried just happened to coincide with a yeah. developmental leap that your kid made. Right, you know, like I, I wasn't an, 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 was not an especially adventurous eater as a kid. I wasn't super picky. I loved food. I got a lot of pleasure from eating, but I would, could have eaten egg and cheese sandwiches for weeks. Right. 
Um, it was only until I got in my 30s that I started to really like push myself to try new things. Right. Yeah, I mean, but the other, I mean, I guess the other reality too is that I just am marveling at how much you lose control. I mean, that's the thing that mm. I think people who have younger kids don't fully realize. We, you have all these visions for ev- how they're going to do everything, how much screen time they're going to have, what they're going to watch, what they're going to be into, what they're going to drink and whatever. But you don't calculate the fact that there's a certain point at which you just you don't you can't enforce it anymore. They're on their own. They're still in your house. They're still under your roof. But like a vast percentage of their time, they're making their own decisions. And like, what am I going to do? Follow her from school every day and like, like, you know, head her off when she heads into the Taco Bell and like yes. yank her away from her friends and throw her in the car and kidnap her. Like, that's not, yeah. that, that's, like, well, <laughs> that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. She's going to do what she's going to do. You Gabriel, know? you're in for a rude awakening, yes. I think. Yes. Yeah, our the theme kid. of this show. Yeah. <laughs> rude awakenings with Gabriel Roth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm being like conspicuously silent here. I feel like so this weird thing happening in my house right now. Henry got me a pasta maker for Christmas because he actually wanted a pasta maker and he has been like becoming obsessed with making homemade pasta to the point where when he comes home from school during his break during the school day he will make himself lunch and make homemade pasta. Okay, and I know right. he has because wow. I get home and there's flour all over the counter and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> and it's like, it's, so there is, it, wait, wait now I have reached a tipping point. He's doing this on his like, lunch break? At home on his lunch oh, yeah. break? Carbonara, the raw egg, the whole thing. Okay. And I am like, but I have reached edit a this tipping whole part point. Out? No one wants to hear this. No, <laughs> no one wants to hear well, this. Well, is... here's the thing. Here's like, so so I have not reached a tipping point. I'm like, this is now getting to the point where it's not good, like in the other direction, where I'm like, he is turning into the like driver of adventurousness and trying things. And it's making me feel insecure and weird about the fact that like I've got five fallback dishes that I try to make during the week or whatever. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that seems to me like that's a win, Rebecca. Like your kids making, like oh, yeah. tell them to make enough for the whole family and put your feet up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Dan Pashman, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, Dan Pashman is the host of the podcast, The Sporkful. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. There's a two-part series on picky eating that's coming out next week. In the meantime, any episodes that parents should be checking out? Well, I mean, we we did one that I think all people will be interested in that was just about uh, celery, the history of celery. It used to be like the avocado <laughs> Wait, toast. Wait, you think all people will be interested? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Carvel, he's, he's a guest. Do go on. No, no. No, I want to hear your pitch. All right, here's my pitch, Carvel. Do you know that there was a time about 100 years ago when boys in Kalamazoo, Michigan would bring bouquets of celery <laughs> to women that they were suiting and, and that rich people on the Upper East Side of Manhattan would have crystal celery vases and they would no display way. their celery. It was a status symbol to have celery on your dining table. Wow. Okay. So we did this episode. I'm sold. Okay, we did an episode that explores- <laughs> Not uh, me. <laughs> what happened and can it make a comeback? We also did one about the history of American barbecue that traces uh, how the slave trade informed uh, Southern cuisine, how barbecue is rooted in African cuisine, and how it traveled up to Chicago. That was a very popular one, too. Ah, Sounds great. Love it. Uh, check it out, The Sporkful Podcast with uh, Dan Pashman. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, guys. Okay, time to take a question from a listener. This one came to us at our email address, which is slate.com. You can email us there, too. Uh, it's being read for us by Slate copy editor Dontea Price. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I have a 16-year-old daughter who is a straight-A student. She's very driven in her studies, a necessary quality it seems these days, and takes a lot of pride in her success. Lately, there's been a lot of tears with her assignments from classes like language arts. My girl is an excellent soldier. 
Give her specific instructions and she will execute flawlessly. She does not take to being a captain. She struggles when given broad objectives, and her language arts teacher is interested not just in what her students know, but how they think. My daughter not only wants to know what her assignment is, but how to go about doing it. As her frustration grows, she increasingly turns the blame on her teachers, feeling like they are intentionally being vague or are incompetent. It's lousy to feel like your teachers are holding out on you, lazy or trying to trick you. What can I do to support my girl? Thank you. I don't want to uh, take a too much of a leap here, but my concern when I hear this question is how much are you, mom, buying into your daughter's angst about the need to um, developing the skill, I would say the necessary skill of creative thinking, of critical thinking, of all the more amorphous parts of learning uh, as somehow outside of the wheelhouse of an achiever. I think that part of achievement, part of a fully rounded, you know, brain, a fully rounded education is learning to not just do those things because it's not easy for everybody, but learning to understand why they're being asked of you. I think the best way you can support your daughter here, and it's pretty simple, is to really explain to her why this stuff is important. If it helps for her to understand that part of being a high achiever is to be able to demonstrate how your brain actually works. And if if your brain is actually really linear and you want to throw that into your assignment, tell your teacher, well, the way that I thought about this was A, then B, then C, then D. Then she's actually fulfilling the assignment, but that just being told, you know, what's the answer to this math problem or, or do this paragraph for me and it should have this many sentences and include this many verbs. Uh, yeah, certainly that's a skill too, but it's not the full picture. So, I think the sort of characterization of, you know, soldier and captain, it adds like a layer of this to me that just really makes me wonder how much you are casting your daughter in this role. And um, maybe just answering some of that why will be helpful and making that, making her understand or helping her understand that that why is actually part of the work too. And it's not separate from, it's not extra, it's not uh, fluffy, it's critical. I mean, I know that certainly when you go to college, being able to write creatively, think critically, do analysis is most of the work that you're going to do there, especially if you have any classes in the liberal arts. And uh, I don't know what kind of degree program your daughter might be interested in doing when she gets older, but I think it's important to start instilling those values now and underscoring the importance of them. And I know that that's not a a super helpful answer, probably, because you're already in this space. But maybe look at the way that you are talking with your daughter about it, not as Uh, an outside set of tasks that she's not good at or finds challenging, but that a necessary set of tasks that she probably does have aptitude for, but just needs to approach them in the way that she would approach them and be as transparent with her teachers as possible. I'm not sure if that was super helpful. Carvel, what do you think? Well, no, I I think it was super helpful to me hearing you say that because I think that you've really kind of like identified one of the main kind of ways of framing this, which is I found myself thinking, how would this question land or would we even get this question if it were reversed, right? If it was like, um, you know, my kid is really good at creative assignments and and kind of and like after school stuff, but they struggle with math or with turning things in on time or with or with hitting deadlines in this sort of specific way that they have to do in math and science and whatever. Uh, they're not ready for that. How can I help them? Or they, they can't do that sort of thing. How can I help? And I, I the reason I, I mean, we certain someone could struggle with that. The, I question whether that would be 
a question you would send for advice on because underlying the that would be the assumption that they just have to figure out how to do it well enough to get through school because it's mm. mandatory. And I think that the question here, I, 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 like you, Rebecca, wonder, and I don't know if this is true, it's just an instinct I get, if there's an underlying assumption on the part of the letter writer that this stuff isn't mandatory. And so... Uh, and so it's not really important. It's not really mandatory. It's this kind of thing that my daughter's being made to do. She's not good at it. So why is she being made to do it? What should I do here? <clears throat> and I think I think it's right. I think it's really important to teach. Uh, like the question is, what can I do to support? And I think to support, the first thing is you have to really believe and advocate that this is super important for her to face this. Doesn't she? Doesn't it, she? Doesn't have to be the most creative, free-flowing, free-thinking person who ever lived, but she's got to get better at it because that is part of the assignment of her learning. And that creativity isn't less any less important than what she executes in other sort of more concrete tasks. Um, and I think y that you're the kind of the person who has to do that because clearly she doesn't believe the teachers. She thinks the teachers are holding out on her. And I think I I've seen Georgia struggle like this too. She's someone who Georgia just got straight A's on her report card, like for like the umpteenth time. And she believes in achieving and she, but she doesn't like it if someone stands in the way of her getting an A. And so for teachers, she wants to do everything right so she can get an A. So if a teacher isn't telling her how to do it right, then she gets really mad. It's like, she's not cool with that. You're interrupting my eight, eight, my straight A flow. And that's really what it's about for her and so for her over through middle school and she's gotten better at this i've we've had to do a lot of like look you can't just have every answer all the time there are some times at which you don't have the right answer and you have to accept that and i think that's what is the kind of like scary part for a kid at this at this age is like not being able to get it right period right mm. and the teacher is saying you can't get this right you just have to give it a shot and that's really uncomfortable for kids. But you have to advocate that that's really important for people to learn because it turns out that's what a lot of life is. And you as a parent probably know that because you can't get parenting right is a really good example. So, you know, you have to see this as valuable. What do you think? Abe? Yeah, that last thing you said sort of matches up with the way I read this letter. I, I come away from this thinking that this is a kid who's pretty anxious. That this is a kid who is driven in her studies and takes a lot of pride in her success, but also who, like, if she's not getting straight A's, then that really feels like a problem for yeah. her. There's something very worrying about the possibility of getting a bad grade. If you get a report card that's like six A's and a B minus, that maybe, <laughs> to me, that's a very good outcome. Right. To this kid, maybe that's a, a like a genuinely unacceptable and frightening outcome. Yeah. And this situation with the language arts teacher expecting a different and a more creative kind of response for her is frightening because she doesn't know if she's doing it right or not. Mm -hmm. When she does the test with the multiple choice, then she's confident she's getting the right answers and she knows that like, okay, I'm going to get an A and so I don't have to worry. I can study and I can learn the material and I can read the textbook and then I can get the right answers and then boom, straight A's. And so now I feel safe. And if I have to write a creative response to something, if I have to write something that, uh, you know, it's not clear whether it's working or not. And in fact, when you write that kind of thing, failure is a necessary part of the process. And anyone who tries mm. to write anything mm. with any kind of creativity at all will know that there are 10 bad drafts for every successful draft. And if you're a kid for whom the possibility of that B minus is terrifying, then writing and having to turn in the bad draft in order to understand, like, how to think about things better and how to explore things more 
more deeply uh, is just going to be a really frightening situation for you. And so, of course, you're going to blame the teacher for putting you in this frightening mm-hmm. situation, right? Mm-hmm. I'm doing my part. I'm doing all the work. I'm mm-hmm. reading the textbooks. I'm getting the questions right. And now you're putting me, making me walk a tightrope over a pit full of spikes and snakes and dragons. <laughs> um, and of, of course, she has a bad response to that. And I think the main thing that you would want to do as a parent in that situation is separately from this one language arts class, try to give the kid a sense that if she fucks up an assignment, then that's all right. Mm-hmm. And and that her whole life isn't actually sort of hanging by a thread that gets severed anytime she gets anything other than an A. And and if failure were a, a, an acceptable possibility and, in fact, an inevitable and sometimes healthy and useful part of life to this kid, then I bet doing the language arts assignments would become a lot easier and maybe even fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know that a lot of what Georgia was going through in seventh grade was us convincing her that we would be fine if she got a beat. <laughs> that was, you know, it was like instead of instead of the other way around, it was like we had to convince her that we would still love her. We were like, we don't care. Like, yeah. just do your, like, literally, it was the first time I found myself <laughs> saying these, like, parenting cliches. Honestly, if you just do your best, we'll be super proud of you. Yeah. And she was like, it took, I think it took her a while to hear that. Because that wasn't the way she thought the world worked. And part of that is because she's a kid. So she has these simplistic ways of thinking of the world. And this kind of stuff, an unconditional love that encourages you to get good grades, but is also okay if you don't get good grades if you try, that's a more advanced concept than a lot of kids are ready for at that age. And so it takes some time and it takes some repetition. So I would say be patient with her around getting this message. But in the end, your idea, your job is to message that it's okay if you don't get this right. All right. So this is a 16 year old. And I, I, what I really think is amazing is the power that kids have, especially teenagers have when they articulate these concerns to their teachers directly. Um, mm. I think that there is my stepdaughter, Lily, when she was in school, she has a, like a different learning style and she was able to take, you know, tests sort of sometimes alone in, the, in a room or she, you know, always had like a seating preference in class. And there were just things that she knew she needed. And when she was younger, she had more sort of support from her parents going in for meetings and stuff. But then what she learned to do in high school, because she went to like a pretty competitive high school, was to articulate that stuff herself and say to the teacher, um, is it OK if I come in during lunch to ask you a couple of questions about this because you went through this part quickly and I want to make sure that I got it. And and just the power that you have as a student when you articulate to a teacher yourself what your learning style is, what your concerns are, what your fears are, it really can change the relationship and really like turn the teacher to a place where they want to help you get it and they want to help you learn. Um, And so I would say to this mom too, like don't succumb to the temptation to intervene, especially at 16, but maybe encourage your daughter to have those conversations. Say, this is how I think. I am literal. I'm linear. I like knowing exactly what I have to do so I can just deliver it. I like being told what size circle to cut out exactly rather than being told just to make a circle Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so i need some support like i need you to help draw this out of me are there exercises i can do are there steps that other kids like me have found success after they've done them and maybe 
that will sort of change that negative dynamic that she's feeling with her teachers. It concerns me whenever I hear kids talk about just like a teacher being incompetent or not doing their job. Although I will say there was one instance where one of my kids said that (laughs) and it was true, like in a really horrible way. And that teacher ended up getting fired. And I spent the half of that year saying to the kid, like, you can't say that. Like, she knows what she's doing. You just need to do your work. And I was wrong. Um, (laughs) But I'm guessing if your daughter is saying this about multiple teachers, it probably is coming from that place of anxiety and insecurity. And one of the things she might want to consider doing is calling her own meetings with her teachers, having those conversations with them and and having letting giving them the chance to help her through it, giving him giving them the chance to help her develop those skills to, you know, if she can't think that way, at least do the exercises so she can begin to shift in that direction. Yeah. And I would also say it's a little late in the year for uh, back to school night or parent teacher conferences because we're entering second semester. But I would say that uh, it. You know, this is something that you definitely want to explain to a teacher as like expectation setting for the teacher, maybe at the beginning of next year, if she's 16 now, she may be a sophomore or maybe going into junior year. But, um, you know, I I know that when we explained to some teachers early on that one of George's, one of the places she struggled wasn't in doing the work, but in a feeling that she wasn't going to do it well enough. And that that was sort of like a light bulb moment for the teachers. Oh, that's where she's coming from. That's what her that's where her some of her resistance is. That's what motivates her. And I think that helped them a lot, too. So this is something that you want to, you know, share in those moments at the beginning of the year when you're kind of like giving your teacher the lay of the land in terms of understanding your kid. That seems right. All right. Thanks very much for that email. uh, And I hope you are able to help your kid. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, time now for the part of the show that we like to call recommendations. During this part of the show, we recommend things to you. Carvel, maybe you would like to recommend something. Yeah, my, my recommendation is going to be a book that we that is, again, digging in the crates. This was one of our favorite books. It was published in 2003, right the year Ezra was born. I believe this is The Day the Babies Crawled Away by Peggy Rathman, which is a very simple book with um, mostly silhouette art. And it's about uh, a mother. The, the premise is that a mother is reminding uh, her son, who is about four, um, do you remember the day we went to the fair and all the babies crawled away and you had to chase all the babies and s- rescue them? And so it's this, this sort of three-layer story where it's a mother reminding her kid and then retelling the story. And then the images that are in the in the book, which are beautiful, show the kid gathering all the babies. But everything is done in this beautiful silhouette. And uh, this the main character running around with a fire fireman's hat on, saving babies. And uh, we used to read that book over and over and over again. I just recently came across it again and was like... 
I was filled with just like the good memories of that time. So I'm going to recommend that book, The Day the Babies Crawled Away by Peggy Rathman. That's great. She did um, Good Night Gorilla. She did Good Night Gorilla. 10 Minutes Till Bedtime, which I think I recommended on this very podcast (laughs) a few weeks ago. I love Peggy Rathman. Yeah, we're big Rathman fans here. Nice. Rathman heads. I'm going to recommend not a particular work, but a large category of works. And it's a category that for a long time I didn't understand why it existed. And so I sort of feared it and hence rejected it, which is the category of video or movie where it's some existing franchise, but in this one all the characters are made of Lego. You know mm. what I'm talking about? I'm not of talking, course. I'm not, talking so about, good. I'm not talking about the Lego movie, which was a fine movie, or even the Lego Batman movie, which was kind of a boring movie. But like, if you look on Netflix or whatever, any cartoon that your kid likes, there's the same cartoon, but with Lego. There's like Jake and the Neverland Pirates, but made of Lego. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, oh. that's, that's what I'm saying. There's all these... Like, yeah, we're, very, we're actually quite beyond that. Right. Game, so. <laughs> there's all, yeah. No, Ezra's not into Jake and the Pirates? <laughs> no longer. No. <laughs> yeah. Every show has now a Lego version and and it was just baffling to me like because it, it's just the same but with Lego and sometimes they make a like bricks joke or some Lego related <laughs> thing but but why do we there's already a Jake in the Neverland Pirates show why do you need to have it be made out of Lego and and what I sort of realized over this weekend that I spent uh, much of it watching videos with Leo who gravitates <laughs> directly towards the Lego version of the thing um is that making it into Lego makes it not scary. If you're oh. a really little kid and like Jake and the Neverland Pirates, sometimes- Wait, is Jake and the Neverland Pirates scary sometimes? I think you would probably not find it <laughs> you scary. You don't think so? I, I myself- I'm very delicate of constitution. I babe. myself, although I don't go see many <laughs> horror movies, I, I didn't find myself really scared by Jake and the Neverland Pirates. But if you're, like, when he wants to see a movie, Leo will ask, like, um, you know, he wants to see the Spider-Verse movie. I can't believe I missed when you guys talked about the Spider-Verse movie. I saw that movie last (laughs) week. It's so good. It's so good. I would be recommending the Spider-Verse movie. But that that would be scary to Leo. Scary. It would be really scary. He wants to see the Spider-Verse movie, but he asks, are there bad guys? Yes. I mean, of course there's bad guys. It's a fucking Spider-Man movie. Right, right. Like, of course there's going to be bad guys. (laughs) Even in Jake and the Neverland Pirates, there are bad guys. There's Captain Hook, who's a silly bad guy in this presentation, and there's the crocodile who is Captain Hook, and even that is just a little scary for uh-huh. him. Less now than it was six months ago, yeah. but it's scary. Yeah, yeah. And if the bad guys and the good guys are made out of Lego, then it's no longer scary because mm. it's toys. It's like somebody's playing with some toys, and they're telling a story about Jake and the Neverland Pirates, just as he likes to do. And he gets all the pleasure of watching a, a, a Jake and the Neverland Pirates cartoon, but he gets it at the with with a, a, a level of distance, a level of remove introduced by the fact that it's somebody playing with Lego toys. Not actually, it's a cartoon of yeah. Lego toys. In any case, so that's my recommendation: is Lego versions of potentially scary uh, children's cartoons. Well, when they make No Country for Old Men out of Legos, yeah, Ezra will, Ezra will show up. For that. <laughs> it works on parents too, because there's this whole like catalog of Lego video games that are really just first-person shooter games, but everything's made out of Lego, like Lego <laughs> Indiana Jones and Lego Star. And so, it, like when you see your little kid playing the Lego version of one of these games, like it never occurs to you that they're actually playing a first-person shooter video game because you know they. Have They'll blow up a wall, and the ball will explode in a pile of bricks like Legos. It's adorable. Yeah. Um, so yes, that is. Oh, a that's why Lego Grand Theft Auto is so good. Is there a Lego <laughs> Grand Theft Auto? There should <laughs> no. be. A, there should be that. No, there should not. They should have I that. I cannot endorse that. <laughs> the Lego prostitute. <laughs> they sort of, in, uh, in Wreck It Ralph. They sort of have Lego prostitutes. In any case, <laughs> okay. We're <laughs> moving on. Scene. Rebecca, what's your recommendation? Uh, 
I'm going to recommend a YouTube channel that I'm not saying that adults will love, but you'll be able to tolerate it. And if your kids are between the ages of 11 and I'd say like 14, 15, like this is like one of those things that like it's exactly in the exact like humor point of like an 11 through 15 year old. And that's the Honest Trailers (laughs) uh, YouTube channel. That is the channel where they Mm -hmm. do very stylized uh, movie trailer alternatives. There are videos between five and seven minutes long. And then they basically give their analysis of what the movie is actually about in a very snarky way. So, for instance, the Mary Poppins Honest Trailer is really just all about what a narcissist she is, that like everybody loves her and that she has to create this whole cartoon world where all the animals love her, too, because that's how much she needs to be loved. Um, these these things do have like some mild adult themes. I think that they bleep out most of the swears, but that's Honest Trailers on YouTube. And the great thing about it is a new one comes out every Tuesday. So it's one of these YouTube channels that if your kids like sharing videos with you, and this is why it occurred to me, because my son, uh, who's 15, sent me the Honest Trailer for Halloween today, and I watched it because there was this whole section about true crime podcasters, so he thought I would think it was funny. And I did think it was funny. I didn't think it was genius, but he thought it was hilarious. So it fits in that, like, exact specific age, you know, that sort of, like— videos on YouTube, things I can also watch with my parents that they won't yell at me for watching funny. And that's honest trailers. It sounds like when I was like that age, when I was 13, 14, I would read Mad Magazine and every issue of Mad Magazine would have like a parody of a grown up movie that I hadn't seen. And I would like I learned about The Godfather from the Mad Magazine strip (laughs) called like The Oddfather. Right, exactly. Exactly. And it's all incredibly specific jokes about moments in The Godfather. (laughs) It's a that's a weird form, but it feels like this is like a contemporary version of that. It's exactly that. Yeah. I will never see the new version of Halloween, but I don't need to now because literally the Honest Trailer showed me everything that happens in the Wait. movie. And it was also palatable and funny with more lighthearted music than probably exists in the actual film. There's a new version of Halloween? Yeah. Why yeah. did I... Are you, you're a, I did not know that. Yeah, there's a new version. It's a post-Rob Zombie version. There's like Oh, another, I did not know that. Uh, Wait, that guy, right Dave... Currently? Like, yeah, it like came out, out like a few weeks yeah. ago. David well, Jamie Lee Curtis is How it. did I miss all that? Uh, My God, I can't exactly. answer that for you, you Carvel. Please answer me. Explain to me now, Gabe. <laughs> well, you were busy with the story for the New York Times magazine, and you probably were paying attention to your kids. And... <laughs> oh, fascinating. Okay. All right. And that's it for our show. Slate Plus members, stick around to hear us talk to Slate blogger Ben Mathis Lilly uh, about some parenting issues he's been facing. If you want to send us a question, you can email us at slate.com or you can call us 424-255-7833. You already know about our Facebook group, but I'm going to tell you to join it again anyway because uh, some really cool shit goes down there, man, on our Facebook group. <laughs> uh, go on Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. People will be discussing this episode there. Uh, Uh, as you hear my voice. Uh, Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch for Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie. I'm Gabriel Roth, and we will see you next time. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.